0: Hey, what's up? It's DeHuff. It's another episode of DeHuff on Censored. Got a great show coming your way. I got the legendary Chad Brown joining us. But if you haven't done it, make sure you check out DeHuffOnCensored.com. It's my website and you got to check it out and make sure you subscribe to the website because every time I post a new episode, uh, it'll notify you because I know you're busy. Anyway, I told you the legendary. I used to... Chad, I don't know if you know this, but back in the day when you played for CU... I used to pretend to be. We'd have our rotation of uh, of guys to pretend to be. Uh, you know whether it was Alfred Williams or you know Dion Figures, all these guys. But you were a part of the rotation. You were one of my rotation of guys, like that. I'd pretend to be a linebacker and be like, you know, I'm going to get the quarterback or whatever. I would pretend to be Chad Brown. Is that weird for you?
1: No, it's 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 not weird. It's flattering. Um, It's awesome. And, um, you know, the fact that I know you personally now (laughs) makes the story even more, you know, believable and cool. So thanks for sharing. And, um, you know, when you're playing football, you're just playing ball, you know, and and, and I think at some point you lose track of there are kids who are pretending to be you. And I remember later in my NFL career, a few young players come up to me after games or after a preseason game and say, hey, you know, I wore number 94 because of you. Oh. So I started to wrap my mind around that late in my NFL career. So now when I hear things like what which, which you yeah. just shared, um, it all kind of fits in that category. And uh, I'm happy. You know, they, there's a great <laughs> saying that you should never meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. Yeah. So hopefully, along the way, known each other over ten years now, at no point have <laughs> I actually disappointed you.
0: No, no, you're a good guy. We we got an opportunity. The very first Super Bowl I covered for the radio station, I got to hang out with you a little bit in New Orleans, of all places, New Orleans, and that was a trip. But that was that was a a fun experience. New Orleans is just a great place, but it was, it was funny because like, uh, I, I got to know you a little bit, hung out with you. And then like Ricky waters just showed up out of, out of the blue. And he was like, I remember as the station, we were hanging out eating dinner and all of a sudden like Ricky waters, his face is in our window as we're we're like, what the hell is Ricky waters doing here? It was just the most random thing. But yeah, we, I've had an opportunity to hang out with you and yes, nothing but good stories. But what's interesting? So I I was doing a little bit. uh, I don't do a lot of research, but according to Wikipedia, (laughs) (laughs) truth be told, truth be told, listen, I half-ass it. It's it's pretty evident. But you grew up in Pasadena, California. You've accomplished a lot, and we were just talking about you being a a linebacker, and you know, it's your great career uh, at CU, a great great school. My dad went to CSU. But he, okay. you know, but we all make mistakes.
1: College school. Right. It's Colorado school. I'll take it.
0: Okay. But it's, it's, it's amazing looking at all you accomplished in the NFL. Obviously drafted by the Steelers in 93, 44th overall. That's huge in my mind. A three-time pro bowler. Mark Schlereth only did it twice. Just saying maybe you're a little bit better than Mark Schlereth. Two to, two-time first team all pro. I, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. You played for the Steelers, Seahawks, and Patriots. Those are great franchises to work for. But what's always interesting to me when I when I think about you is reptiles and your love for reptiles. And before we get into some of your insane stories about how you've, like, traveled the world wrangling reptiles and crazy snakes, but I, I was always curious of, like, how did you get into the love of reptiles? Like when you were a kid, were you just always curious and playing with snakes? What, what's the, what was young Chad Brown and reptiles like?
1: I grew up pretty shy, and you know I stuttered a bit as a kid, so you know, I had my close friends. So I don't want to seem as if I was just kind of isolated on my own. But because of that shyness, I had a you know a, a connection, so to speak, with with animals, because, you know, you can just rub on a dog's head and dog's going to love you back. And yeah. so that my shyness was not a barrier in that relationship. So I've always been an animal person and going to the library as a young kid. My parents were, you know, voracious readers. So they took me to the library at least once a week. So there was a treasure trove of, you know, animal stuff in the kids section at the Altadena library branch. I probably read every single one of those books. So that developed my passion for animals. And then my dad got a subscription to National Geographic when I was seven years old. So now it's more than just the animals. It's the places where they come from. It's all this whole fascinating world that's, you know, way out there beyond my little spot in California where where I live. So flipping through those National Geographics every month, uh, having that, that library experience, Kind of sparked it, and then where I grew up in Southern California, uh, Altadena. I usually say I'm from Pasadena because people have heard of that Pasadena, the Rose Bowl places like that. Yeah. Well, Altadena is just a little bit higher and nestled in the foothills, right above Pasadena. So being so close to the foothills, my backyard there were lizards and snakes and frogs and wolf spiders and all those kinds of things. So not quite as exotic as a you know, green tree python from Indonesia, mm-hmm. but I certainly had my share of animals right in my backyard. So I caught all those things as a kid. Plus, there was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, which was the early version of the Crocodile Hunter for folks who are only familiar with Steve Irwin and the Crocodile Hunter. It was a nationally shown program, mm-hmm. a weekly program where they went out and did awesome things with animals. So now I got National Geographic coming to my house once a month. I got my parents taking me to the library once a week. I got this TV show that I watch every single week, which features animals all over the world. Plus, I've got animals in my backyard. So, all that kind of combined together to generate this love for animals that suited my kind of Shire personality really well. And there's very few wild animals that you can actually take into your home and call them a pet. Um, But to catch a fence lizard, I could bring that into my room and call it a pet, Mm -hmm. you know, keep it for a couple of weeks, let it go. Or in some cases, just to be able to observe the fence lizards literally right outside of my bedroom window, can sit in my room and see a male and female fence lizard and the male showing the female his breeding colors and all that stuff. Right. So seeing all that so close enough as a kid. (laughs) So fast forward to uh, college and uh, someone in the dorms my freshman year had a boa constrictor for sale right up my alley, got my first snake. Um, and literally, the collection has expanded ever since that first snake in 1988.
0: Wow. That, well, that's, it's funny because growing up. Me, like you're talking about, like your backyard. I, I, I us leaving, living in Colorado, I think w- I kind of take it for granted just what's in our backyard, the mountains. And so there's so much wildlife up there. Um, and the snakes out here, uh, obviously, that, it's funny because every time I go for it, like a bike ride or hiking trail uh, on a hike, I always think of you and be like, I, I basically essentially have you on speed dial. In case I need some advice on what am I looking at? I look at you and I'm talking to you. I can hear the passion and the love that you have for reptiles. Whereas I'm kind of the opposite. And it's, it's funny because my dad, I was telling you, you went to CSU. He ended up finishing up at Syracuse. But he majored in biological science, emphasis, I wrote this down, emphasis on vertebrae, zoology, ecology, and ecological research. I don't even know what that means. But he was really, he was like you, very similar to you, that he loved animals, he loved everything about it. And he was, he was really big into outdoors and all that stuff. And it's, It's really interesting because I'm complete opposite. I am the opposite of you when it comes to reptiles. And there's so many people that are like me, but I know there's a lot of people like you, but like I get so freaked out over snakes. And every time I talk to you, you always are like calm and cool. You're like, no, you're fine. So like if I encounter like a rattlesnake, what's your advice for Joe Schmo that's that's a pussy like me? (laughs) that runs encounters a a rattlesnake, what are you supposed to do?
1: All right. First off, stay calm. You know, don't freak out. Mm. Get as far away from the rattlesnake as you can. You know, if you're on a bike trail and he's in the middle of the trail, just go off the trail for a little bit and come back. There's no reason to, you know, try to get a stick and poke him in there. You're not not a snake expert. That's not what you do. You know, so keep yourself safe and keep the snake safe as well by just trying not to interact with him. Obviously a bike trail is different than in your garage. Mm-hmm. Now that's a whole different circumstance. Um, that's where uh, a nice long rake, uh, a nice long shovel, something like that, where you can pick this snake up, put it into a tall trash can, take that trash can you know, as far away from your property as you can and let them go, or leave them in the trash can and call animal control. And they can come take it from there. But obviously rattlesnakes are dangerous and you're not a trained herpetologist, which is the scientific term for someone who is into snakes or reptiles in general. Um, So from that standpoint, keep yourself safe would be my number one thing. Um, But, yeah, there are are certainly ways to interact with wildlife. You know, the most common snakes seen in in these areas are bull snakes, garter snakes and rattlesnakes. Yeah, bull snakes can be a little fearsome because they rattle the tail like a rattlesnake. Sometimes they'll hiss and kind of puff up a little bit, so it's a little bit of an intimidating display. Yeah, um, but yeah, you can use that same rake to scoop that animal up and put it into a, a trash can and call animal control, and they'll know exactly what to do with it. But yeah, the accidental interactions yeah. um, lead to most you know snake deaths. Um, people taking shovels and hacking their heads off and things like that. That snake just wants to not be bothered by you, and not bother not bother you at all, and try to eat all the little rodents around your house and keep your house rodent free. He's trying to
0: hook you up. He's trying to take I, care of you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it's funny though. Like I get that, but it just it's still it's one of those things where I, it, it, it's it's kind of goes with a lot of things. You're fearful of things that you don't completely understand. So it, that you know that spreads across so many different things but it, that's kind of what it is with snakes I'm, and there's always like something weird and stupid in the back of my mind like if i encounter a snake i'll just grab it like if it attacks me which is like i know that's dumb but you have that weird you know sometimes you always fantasize about what are you going to do in that situation right and that right. that always pops in my head like i'll just grab it and it'll be amazing and everybody will Grant me a hero. In, in, in reality, if I tried to do that, it you know bite me and then you know, I'm in the hospital.
1: Well, also, let's not forget that you know, rattlesna- uh, bull snakes and garter snakes in particular, if you, were, if you were lucky enough to be able to grab them and secure it where you, you know, aren't going to get bit, they have a musk that they you know, will spew out of their backside that uh, is very, very difficult to wash off. Oh. So uh, again, the less touching and grabbing you can do, and the more you know long rake you can do, the better off you'll be and the snake will be. Trust me.
0: I had no idea they have yeah they have oh, wow damn yeah, garden
1: snake musk is particularly pungent because they eat a lot of fish um, so okay. that uh, that musk is is kind of concentrated fish oil essentially and it's it's yeah it's almost impossible to wash off you'll smell like musk for two or three days
0: Ooh, gross yeah that makes sense because at my old house you say they eat they like fish right yes so we used yeah. to have a pond with koi in it that makes sense why I would always see gardener snakes in there or around there yeah. sons of yeah bitches.
1: so they're eating the snails or eating the frogs and tadpoles and they're eating yeah. the fish they can fit in their mouth
0: okay this is the story. I this is my kids are super excited that I'm talking to you. By the way, and they actually have some questions. I'll get to later from them. Okay. So I want you to share. I, you, I'm as many stories as you want, but I definitely want to hear the story of you. I can't remember Central America somewhere somewhere other than Colorado where you ended up hopping into a, a like a train car and fighting off like a hundred snakes tell take us through that insane story cuz it sounds like i make it up but people are but it's true tell us the story
1: okay so the bronx zoo has had this um reward for any snake over 25 feet and it's been for you know 50 years or whatever how long long they've had this reward out there so Um, folks will contact the zoo from time to time from around the world and say they have a long enough snake and the zoo asks for verification and things like that and so in in almost every circumstance it ends up being a much smaller snake everyone overestimates the size of their snakes that they see it's it's human nature (laughs) most people are like you and have a bit of a fear and a phobia and that that fear and phobia intensifies the reaction. So a three-foot snake is now a six-foot snake. Mm. Five-foot snake is now 12-foot. That's just kind of how it works. Even within my reptile shipping company, Ship Your Reptiles, when a customer calls and says, you know, what size box do I put my snake in? Well, how long is your snake? Oh, it's seven feet. And I'm like, well, that species doesn't get any bigger than four feet. Oh, let me measure it. So mm. everyone does it. So that, that's just, you know, human nature.
0: Right.
1: At any rate, I've got a friend. Uh, Cameron Tupedlin uh, from Bushmaster Reptiles. He is a world-renowned reptile wrangler, and I've gone some trips with him all across the world. And um, he and I were in Indonesia um, a couple of months after this person in Indonesia contacted the Bronx Zoo and asked Cameron, could he go investigate this claim of these large snakes? Um, traveling in Indonesia is tough. It takes us a while to get there to where these snakes are supposed to be, this tiny little village. And we talk to the village guys and they say, Oh yes, we we caught the snakes. Trust us. They're, they're really big. Um, We've got some smaller ones too. And they're in that abandoned train car over there. Okay. All right. So we go, you know, we start getting close to the train car and it's pretty apparent. There are no entrances into this train car except that kind of, porthole hole on the top It's like a I don't know it Would be like an old Oil train car yeah. Of some sort Maybe it was using A palm oil plantation Something like that Okay Ooh. So it's a little hairy You know We gotta jump <laughs> Literally like Indiana Jones Into this train car This pit Yeah Of reticulated python So The longest species Of snake in the world Is a reticulated python um, And they are native To uh, Southeast Asia And particularly To Indonesia And there are Definitely Big uh, forms of it on the particular island that we were on, so we know this is the right place for all this to happen. But the thing about reticulated pythons, they are extremely agile. Um, they are extremely intelligent. So it's it's a it's a very uh, it's a diff- very difficult opponent to tackle, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, we 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 crack open the lid. We look down in there. Shine the flashlight down in there. Yep. There's lots of snakes. Yep, we can see some big ones. Okay. Um, so you have to jump in there. Well, and we're kind of essentially like unprepared because, you know, you hear a train car. You're thinking, oh, I'll be able to like a hobo, like slide the door open and walk into the train car.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not a
1: hobo train car from the movies. It's <laughs> like an oil palm car for transporting oil. Okay. All right, do you guys you know do you guys have some rope so we can get in and out? Yes, we got they have like a rope ladder. Great. Okay, um, do you have like some old rice bags because once we get wrangle it, we got to put it in something. Hmm. Okay, let's walk around and get some sticks because we're gonna need some sticks for this activity.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so we finally get ourselves equipped. Um, Cameron jumps down. I climbed down after him. And once we get down there, it's like, okay, you know. Yeah. The funny things about plans is they're great. In, you know, in the words of Mike Tyson, until you, you get punched in the face. You know, yeah. you, you got to plan when you're outside the train car. You got to plan when you're on top of the train car. You got to plan until you land with your feet inside the train car, and you realize this is literally Indiana Jones, yes. and there's reticulate pythons all around me, and they're all a little bit, you know, they've been in this train car for weeks now, you know, so, okay, what do we do? First thought was, do we just try to eliminate the small ones so we can just deal with the big ones? That seems like the right
0: way to go about that.
1: So, there's some 10-footers, some 12-footers. We're we able to You know, kind of separate those out with the sticks, get those guys bagged up.
0: So you're just like reorganizing and and bagging them out? Is that what you're
1: doing? If if we get with a big one and, you know, if you think about a large snake, it's not only this large, you know, 20 plus foot animal, but this animal kills to live. You know what I'm saying? That's his job. That's his role. He kills to live. He is so badass that he just, everything he eats, he has to kill it yeah. and then swallow it whole. So he's incredibly strong, incredibly powerful. And to make it to 25, 20 plus feet, he's lived a long time and experienced some stuff. So he's probably pretty good at what he
0: does. Yes. Yeah. Do what's the lighting like in there? Do you have good lighting? I mean,
1: we've got, we got the sunlight from the porthole on the top, yeah. we've got a couple of flashlights we're holding. There's a couple of villagers shining flashlights down for us. So it's, it's as bootleg of an operation as you can
0: possibly oh my God.
1: imagine.
0: I'm getting chills thinking and, about it.
1: And trust me, we are as far from any modern medical care as possible. I had a friend uh, a few years ago in Texas who was a large uh, python breeder, and he actually bred reticulated pythons. And he had this giant walk-in enclosure and uh, – Long story short, one of the pythons bit him on the back of his thigh. But you know that artery that runs on the inside of your thigh. This was probably a 16, 17-foot reticulated python. It bit, and it as it pulled back and as he pulled away, it ripped that artery. So a tremendous amount of blood. Uh, a couple days hospital stay, a lot of stitches. So the bites, you know, are typically recoverable. But that slashing motion, if it's able to get an artery like that, I yeah. don't know, six hours, eight hours from modern medical care, you know, right. you and I might not be having this podcast.
0: Right. So, so you're an idiot and you jump down into this train car, poorly lit, <laughs> filled with snakes. And you got sticks, we got, though.
1: You got sticks and rice bags. Yay! <laughs> so uh, with the smaller snakes, we, you know, we get them into the bag, You know, tie the rope around it, villagers get those out. Okay, so now we're dealing with about, there's about three or four larger ones, all right. So we, we get the largest one, and aside, and we you know we don't necessarily like measure it, but we're visually scoping it out, and it's pretty clear that it is not 25 plus feet. Hmm. Okay, so let's you know contact the let's contact the folks at the zoo, let them know what's going on, and we'll come back and deal with this. So we contact the folks at the zoo, come back the next day because the zoo folks says, yeah, even if it's not 25 plus feet, let's measure it. Let's see what it's like. We may still want it. Okay. So we go back. Do it again. again. They're all piled back up, separate out, get the largest one out. And he's got a rice bag. I've got a rice bag. And our plan is to literally jump on top of the snake (laughs) with our rice bags as shields (laughs) and somewhere underneath the rice bags, try to find its neck. Ooh. And, you know, one, one of us is going to get a hold of it right behind its head. And then from there, we'll try to wrangle it into a rice bag so we can tie it up and then get it out of there. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> two dudes, giant, you know, rice bags, dive on this giant snake. Oh. You know, I got the head. Oh, my God, I don't have it. Oh, I got it. You, you know, so it's the yellow. and. It's screaming okay. and- Yes, you know it's it's you know it's ninety plus degrees inside this you know you know uh, train car. We're both dripping in sweats. Finally, get it wrangled. I got you know I got my hands around its head and it's opening its mouth and it's you know th- this head's about a foot long. That's great. Eventually, you know he, he's able to get control of the body. We get it you know most of the body into the bag. A snake that long is extremely heavy and powerful, so it takes a while to get the body in the bag. Yeah. And it's like, so I want to be able to put the head into the bag far enough down where I can get my hands out, where we can also close up the bag before the head comes shooting back out.
0: Whoa, my God.
1: So I'm trying to get it down, but he's, the snake's trying to come back up. I mean, Obviously the snake was trying to resist capture, essentially. Yeah. So it takes a couple of attempts where I can finally get the snake down far enough and then we're able to kind of get some of the body on top of the head before I'm able to release the head, close up the bag, get the bag tied up, and have the villagers hoist the snake out. In the end, we do get snake the snake out of the train car. It's about a 21, 22-foot reticulated python. Um, it ended up going back to my buddy Cameron has a, a zoo in uh, essentially an animal facility in Jakarta goes back there i can't remember exactly who purchased this animal after it was you know cleaned up and Mm -hmm. kind of acclimated to to captivity but that's the train car story
0: wow is that is that your most dangerous experience do you think that Uh,
1: i'll give you one more maybe not quite as dangerous from a wild perspective but pretty bananas yeah so uh later on in the trip um Cameron has been talking to me about um, cobra shows. Oh. So they there's a thing where you, as a some businessmen, when they come over to Indonesia, they go to the cobra show. The guy handles the cobra, does stuff with the cobra, hacks the cobra's head off,
0: oh.
1: drains blood from the cobra into like a whiskey drink, cuts open the the bile gland of the cobra pokes it drains the bile into this whiskey drink and they drink this it's supposed to bring you uh some good luck and it's supposed to help you when you when you visit the the uh, ladies of entertainment later that night oh okay so these guys the cobra guys also are usually involved some in some ways in some in, in the reptile trade so they Buy more than cobras. They may have some other snakes. So we want to go see all the other snakes. I'm kind of interested in seeing the cobra shot. I don't want to see a cobra die. I'm not down for that. But, you know, I want to kind of take in the whole experience. So we get there and, you know, the guy's taking us out back where he's got all his snakes stored up. So he's pulling out various types of venomous snakes from Indonesia. Here's some crates. Here's different types of cobras. Um, Here's a couple of other venomous snakes, you know, from, from the area. And we're documenting and we're taking photos and he's got a really unusually colored crate. Normally they're kind of like a bluish, blackish and cream. This one's kind of a purple and almost gold, very lakery. It was beautiful. I got some amazing shots of it. Only one I've ever seen that 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 coloration. Uh, and basically we get to the, the cobras that he uses in the cobra shows. And he pulls three of the cobras out and he sets them on this table. And they're doing their cobra thing. And they're kind of like, Cobra up and striking at each other. Um, And obviously this guy is what he does for a living. He's just chilling, talking, and he kind of absentmindedly sits down next to the table where the cobras are and puts his hand down on the edge of the table by the cobras. One of those cobras turns, bam, bites him on his hand. I have my, my video camera and I go from the Cobras to my friend, Cameron, back to the Cobras, back to my friend, Cameron going, did he just get bit? Oh my God. He just got bit. Oh my God. He just got bit. <laughs> so I back away and I still got the camera going and I've got to put this footage up someplace. Cause you can hear me freaking out. Dude, I don't want to see this guy die. Yeah. I didn't come to see somebody die. We got to get out of here. We got to leave right away. I can't watch this dude die. The guy senses my panic. And he's like, no, I'm okay. I've been bit before. And he starts rubbing his hand. And so we're talking and he's starting to rub his hand a little bit more intensely. I'm like, that thing is burning. It's starting to hurt. I've never been bit, but I know that you are in some discomfort right now. And I can see the redness kind of coming. Well, about a few minutes later, a businessman shows up, wants the Cobra show. Of course, the guy gets the Cobra that bit him, does the Cobra show, you know, hacks off the head, does the whole thing. The guy drinks the Cobra blood, bile, whiskey drink, slams it down. He leaves. And then the guy who got bit, I watch him walk to the edge of this kind of compound, which is kind of back into the jungle and lean against a tree stump and i can see his eyes start to kind of roll back in his head and his tongue is starting to swell and he's having some difficulty breathing and he keeps assuring us that he's going to be fine i'm like i'm not going to stay and find out so we left so that's my cobra story
0: oh so you just left him to die way to go chad
1: he said he was fine. He said he'd been bitten all the time. And I was not enough for the Indonesian language barrier to, to, to say, hey, man, I don't trust you. Let me take you to a hospital. He kept insisting, I'm
0: fine. He can't speak. He's like, I'm bad. His tongue's so swollen. i thought, <laughs> guys. It's fine. Don't yeah. be Oh, my God. Yeah. That's insane. Well, he kind of deserved it, though, if he's constantly chopping off their heads jerk
1: yeah i thought you know karma is you know a bitch and hey absolutely sometimes sometimes the rabbits
0: got the gun sometimes the snake wins. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and maybe it did we'll never know yeah. because you bailed no. on them <laughs> we left <laughs> <laughs> all right i told you uh earlier my kids were super by the way amazing stories thank you so much for sharing those but my kids were super excited and they're they they going to listen to this episode. They still listen to some of these episodes, even though I use adult language. And they just look at me and go, Dad, you can't say that. But whatever. Anyway, so my daughter, who's six, Aria wrote or asked, what's your favorite snake? There's a lot of snakes out there. What's your favorite one?
1: My favorite snake is the Boland's Python from the Highlands of Papua New Guinea. Um, they if a snake could be majestic, this snake is majestic. They also operate with such a air of confidence that handling them and dealing with them and keeping them is almost a a pleasure. Hmm. Um, There are snakes who are curious. Um, There are snakes who are intelligent. but that doesn't mean that they have that same level of confidence. You put your hand in a cage and they, they cower back or they, you know, they see your hand as a threat. I think the Boland's python is probably uh, – it has very few predators outside of maybe when it's a firstborn. So just because of that kind of lack of, of, of threats in its life, hmm. they interact with humans almost as an equal instead of a, a fear or somewhat something to be concerned about. So it's a beautiful, majestic black snake with very uh, yellow markings on it. But you've seen like some oil on top of water and that iridescence, that that sheen Mm -hmm. that you see on. on, So it has an oily iridescence to its black skin that in the sunlight is just, it may may be one of the most beautiful things in in nature. And um, there's actually a few companies who have investigated the scales of, an, of Boland's pythons because that sheens comes from a special structure on its scale that helps it repel water. And they're trying to use that scale structure in building materials and paints and things like that to have that repellent water protection. Uh, so grabbing the designs of nature and using them for our purposes.
0: That's fascinating. That's, that's, that's very interesting. All right, now my son, who's eight, Jackson – When I said, do you have a question for Chad Brown, who uh, is a a reptile wrangler, essentially, he said, would you ever fight a robot? And I said, "Okay, Jackson, again, he's a reptile guy. And (laughs) so then he said, would you ever wrestle or have you ever wrestled an alligator?
1: I have not. I've got very little crocodilian experience, actually. Um, At A lot of the reptile shows I go to. There may be someone who's selling some baby crocodiles. Um, There's a photo of me at a reptile show a couple years back with an albino alligator that my friends in Florida uh, breed. But I don't have any large alligator or crocodile uh, hands-on experience. That's a whole different genre than I'm uh, accustomed to. Um, And so, no, I have not. Um, I've got to check it off the list at, at some point. Um, I've got uh, buddies in zoos and reptile facilities. I'm sure who would be uh, open to me giving it a shot, um, but uh, <laughs> I haven't mustered up the courage just yet. <laughs> yeah, no
0: kidding. I, so it's funny because we're we're talking about you knowing so much about reptiles, especially snakes. It seems like snakes is your your go to area, right? And you have your what's your company again?
1: So for a while, I had Pro Exotics Reptiles and we bred reptiles on a commercial scale and sold them all over the world. Okay. Uh, we primarily did snakes, to your point, but uh, I produced thousands and thousands of baby leopard geckos for the pet trade. I also bred monitor lizards, so the Komodo dragon is the most famous monitor lizard. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the biggest one in the world. I bred several smaller species of those, um, but primarily snakes, primarily boas and pythons was my main thing, and I also uh, was a pioneer of some sorts, In some of the Asian rat snakes, develop the breeding recipes and produce them and kind of introduce those to the reptile hobby and then also into the pet trade.
0: Okay, interesting. So you do all that. But what's also interesting about you, and we kind of hit on it in one of your stories, is whiskey and bourbon. I stumbled on the fact, I, I don't remember, several months ago, you were in the studio uh, at 1043 the fan and i brought up bourbon and whiskey and how i like bourbon and whiskey and you just start rattling off all these different types cuz you you know you become like a all of a sudden you're this savant of bourbon and whiskey and all and then i've i've only tried like uh Woodford Reserve, Brackenridge, Buffalo Trace, Knob Creek, Four Roses. Those are all pretty decent whiskeys. Yeah. But mm-hmm. What do you think I should try next? And keep in mind, I'm on a budget.
1: (laughs) Well, um, are you a spice guy? Are you a flavor guy? Are you interested in the smoothness or the
0: sweetness? That's a great question.
1: Of those four components, I can guide you in a direction.
0: That's interesting.
1: Spice, flavor, smooth, sweet.
0: I I like spice, but I, I really like a smooth, smooth like bourbon. What what do you what do you think?
1: Okay, so then there's just so many. I would go with an Angel's Envy, yes. which is going to be a smoother style. They do an Angel's Envy, I believe they have a, a rye as well, not just a, a, a bourbon which has to be 51 percent corn, um, but they have a, a a a rye, so that is going to have a little bit more spice. So corn versus rye as the base of the mash, corn is going to lend more sweet. You know, think of Mm -hmm. corn syrup and all the, you know, sweetness that comes from corn versus rye is going to have a little bit more of a a bite, a spice to it. So angels envy has, they do typically do blended mixes where they can bring a component of the base mash. In this case, it could be rye, which is going to have that spice to it, that bite to it, but still be overall smooth. I've, gone way 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 the opposite way i want flavor i want spice i want bite and then at this point i want penis to the point where it's just oily and it makes my mouth pucker really so i have gone started off as a bourbon guy you know kind of just in my palate moved into some more of the the whiskies now i like the very powerful scotches um, that are super peaty, or a whiskey that's barrel strength. Most of the ones you've listed out will, are typically around 40% alcohol. When it's barrel strength, it's bottled just as it comes out the barrel. So it could be 56%. It could be 60%. So right now, I've got a 60% alcohol whiskey that's it's a rye-based, so it's spicy. It's got the incredible alcohol burn because it's got 20% more alcohol than a normal whiskey. And it was uh, barreled, and I believe sherry barrel. So it's got a little bit of that sherry sweetness mm-hmm. as well. So spice, alcohol burn, plus sweetness. So give me all that as much as you can. Mm-hmm. That's what I love. And then I've gotten really into the scotches because of that that peatiness. They uh, dry or roast the malt over peat, and that peatiness gives it a weird earthy dirt taste that i just find irresistible i know i'm just bugging you out with some of this no it's you that's where i've gone with
0: it you just vomited out all this massive amount of information that i wasn't expecting that's great it's i told you guys like he's a freaking whiskey savant and apparently scotch and bourbon so that that's that's great uh, I will try angels. Envy. I may have tried angels envy. ha there's there's multiple
1: kinds. Yeah. A lot, there's multiple variations. Yeah,
0: and that's what's confusing is like when you go to a store, it's just there's so much variety. It does get a little overwhelming. I know I had a like Knob Creek, and I got mm-hmm. I just I ended up getting a a Knob Creek. I can't remember, but it was like a maple, a smoked maple or something like that, and it was a good good sipping. Whiskey, you can't ever mix it with anything. It's just it is good by itself, and it's just I, I like that. But I also I like a, a whiskey or a bourbon that is great by itself. But if you get a, a whiskey that you can mix with it too, with other things, I like that as well. But yeah, it's just it, it's it's fascinating. I never like ten years ago, I never would have thought that I would be into whiskeys and bourbon, and now I now I now I want to try Scotch.
1: The collector part of me, um, whether it was uh, Prince Records growing up in Southern California and literally catching the public bus to record stores two hours away from my house mm-hmm. or getting to Hollywood and hitting every record store in Hollywood, that collector part of me, Prince Records, NFL stuff, when I posters when I was a kid, yeah. Reptiles, is now into the whiskey, bourbon, scotch space. I got my own barrel. I will take things and I will sit them in a barrel for six months and not touch them Really, to give it a particular wood flavor or smooth it out or stuff like that. So I'm way, way <laughs> deep into it. Yeah. I've got too big of a collection. I've spent way too much money. Um, I've got 30 year old Japanese whiskeys, 30 year old scotches. Um, at some point, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll have a gathering of friends and you'll be invited and I'm I can give you a literal education of what you're looking for and what you're tasting and kind of coach you up your coach up your taste buds yeah. so the next time you go to the store, you know exactly what you're looking for and how to differentiate, differentiate the types.
0: And I think you could make some money off of that because I think so many people would just line up because the more I talk to my friends, they're all into whiskeys, but a lot of us just don't really know what we're looking for. And that's right. where, that's where if you do those taste tests, what are those things? Like if you go to some bars, you can do those, uh, trays, flights. And flights. Yes. I'm not a that's booze. A- I'm not a booze hound like you. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know that term.
1: But to, to, to say, go with the wife, I'm not sure if she's into it. And then share a flight so you can both drive home. Right. Uh, one of you can drive home, but share a flight. That's a good way to get educated because typically on the flight, it'll start with softer, sweeter, and move its way up in flavor and and punch between yeah. it's typically three cups of something, um, and that's where I, that's kind of where, where my education process started was trying a flight, sharing a flight, and understanding. Okay, so this is a Kentucky bourbon, that's going to be corn, that's going to be sweet. This is a Colorado whiskey, and this last one over here is a you know barrel uh, barrel strength uh, whiskey that was barreled in I don't know Japanese whiskey barrels. Right. which tend to be a little bit more malty and, and add that kind of flavor. So th- that process and education process is, I think the next step for you, you know, you like it. Yeah. Now you need to figure out why you like it, which will help you hone in on specifically what you like.
0: That's awesome. No, that's that. No, that's great. And I think every guy listening to this or lady as well, like you're kind of intrigued, and and I've done the flights of of beer before too, because there's so much variety out there. Right, not really a beer guy anymore. Just
1: I'm not a beer guy. I I, I drink whiskeys and scotches straight, right. though I do enjoy some mezcal, which is a particular variant of tequila, essentially.
0: Oh, uh, my father-in-law's into tequila, and yeah, he's 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 he's, he's kind of like you. He'll sit there and dissect how it works, and I'm like, I yeah. I have, I'm still scared of tequila based on my early years. Uh, but, but obviously I was probably drinking the really cheap, shitty stuff, but.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You got to grow up a little bit and have some, right. some good, cause they're, they're the same sipping experience that you get from a whiskey or a bourbon, you can have that with a, in my mind, a mezcal over a tequila. Tequilas tend to be kind of one note for me. Mezcals, the, the recipe can be so varied, you can use different types of agave plants and it can be you know distilled in clay pots or this all these other different things they do with mezcal versus tequila that give it that same depth of flavor and that same very interesting start midway finish ending note that you get from a really complex whiskey bourbon or scotch
0: you are the most fascinating guy in media in like <laughs> you can talk football you can talk everything and now Okay, you talk reptiles and you talk booze and it's amazing. So thank you so much. So okay, what's up next for Chad Brown? Cuz like we're talk, sitting here talking about all these different things. What what's the next thing that you're working on? What's what's going on with you right now?
1: All right. So I touched a little earlier on one, so to uh, so the Pro, the Exotics reptile company, we had a fire in 2011. That essentially ended my commercial reptile production days. I do have a few reptiles that I breed here at my office, um, more so for fun and educational purposes, trying to learn more about the animals. Um, but I'm no longer in the commercial animal production business. So my main company is uh, all-pro shipping. I specialize in shipping animals for businesses and hobbyists. So I've got ship your reptiles for the reptile world. I've got ship your aquatics for folks who are into fish, corals, aquatic plants, things like that. I've got ship your invertebrates for folks who are into bugs, tarantulas, uh, you know, isopods, all the little bugs that people keep, pra- praying mantises. Mm-hmm. And soon the launch will be Ship Your Flora, folks who are into roses and orchids and plants and things like that. So basically, things that you can't show up at your local FedEx store and say, here, I need to ship this to my friend. Right. They go, we don't do that. Turns out they do, but they use folks like me who sell specialized packaging and have the expertise and know-how on how to successfully execute one of those shipments. So that's what I do. And I'm expanding that ship your brand to more and more hobbies and interest. Uh, that's my main thing. Obviously, I do uh, the media thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just got booked for the second Broncos preseason game. Oh, good. I'll be doing my game for, for nine news. That'll be fun. I do a lot of stuff locally here in Denver work some radio do some local television and then uh, on the weekends uh, I've done games with ESPN I've done games with the Pac-12 Network last year I did a lot of NFL games with Compass Media which is a nationwide radio uh, Mm -hmm. provider so if you listen to a college game or a NFL game on a Saturday or Sunday when you're driving around doing the honeydew list you may catch me talking about whatever game's happening so that's my media interest and then Hopefully, sooner or later, I can get things organized where I can start my living art podcast. Um, Living art is a term that I use to describe uh, what humans do to animals to make them more, uh, maybe animals and plants as well, more palatable for our needs, purposes, and likes. You know, dogs are essentially living art. We've taken some wild animals and Hone them into all these different needs and niches. Dachshunds that can go underground into rabbit burrows and get rabbits. Yeah. You know, Rottweilers that can you know be guard dogs. Um, all More. the different types of cattle, yeah. cattle that can live in very hot places, mm-hmm. cattle that are very small where people don't have as much space, that are focused on you know milk production or mm-hmm. meat production. Um, I mean, the, the same thing has been done over and over and over, and virtually every living thing that humans have touched. So there's ball pythons, which is a very popular reptile pet. At this point, there are over 4,000 different color and pattern combinations that people have come up with. Wow! So that same thing exists in roses. Roses are beautiful, but there's white roses, there's red roses, there's purple roses, there's orange roses. We have done that all throughout history and almost everything that we touch. So my podcast will be focused on the people who pioneer those things, the people who mm-hmm. keep pushing those projects forward, uh, the whys, the hows, the ins and outs of how, how all that is accomplished.
0: That's fascinating. That That's going to be a must listen because that's that's just interesting because it's like you're just describing. It's all around us.
1: It's-
0: Everywhere. But we don't think about it and and recognize it. So
1: the American bulldog, which we're all familiar with, maybe the uh, Petey from Our Gang, the Little Rascals, uh, the old TV show. Mm-hmm. That particular white and black spotted mutation is called piebald. That same mutation is what we see when black and white cows. It's the same pattern mutation between two different species of animal. There exists a piebald ball python that same mutation occurs in snakes. So that same genetic mutation that makes a white animal with black splotches exists in three different species. We don't tie that together in our mind, but from a breeder standpoint, from a genetic standpoint, that's the tie between a bulldog, a cow, and a python. Pretty amazing.
0: That's, yeah, that's just fascinating. I I can't wait until – this goes live with you and then i cuz i'll definitely subscribe uh by the way you have a birthday coming up thank you wikipedia uh <laughs> your birthday's on july 12th mine is on july 6th we're both cancers
1: i did not know that happy birthday my friend thank
0: you and are, are you, happy birthday to you, by the way, uh, are you going to dunk a basketball? You always like dunk a basketball on your birthday. Are you still doing that?
1: I stopped last year. So I got it at my 50th birthday okay. and that's it. Um, <laughs> I think the, the chance of potential injury, so the risk versus reward, <laughs> it's starting to tilt more towards the risk. And I would hate to blow an Achilles. You know, I put a lot of miles on these tires as an NFL player, and you know, I take as good of care of myself as I possibly can. But to blow an Achilles just to post a video on Twitter, yeah, it's not going to be worth it. So I got to tell, I was fifty. I'm cool. You know, maybe I could still do it, but uh, I am not going to risk my knees, my low back, or my Achilles. <laughs> for uh, that this <laughs>
0: year, trust me. I don't have the miles that you do because obviously you play in the NFL and everything. But I get hurt so easy now. And we there's like a, we had somebody paint the inside of our house, and somebody's like, "Well, why don't you do it?" I was like, "I have a twenty-plus foot ceiling. If anybody's going to fall off a ladder and just smash their face in, and do I fell through an attic uh, a couple months back in March?" I felt there, I was trying to there was a noise in the attic. So I'm like, I'll be, you know, a brave dad and go up there with a flashlight. And I I didn't realize, Chad, where I was st- standing I was standing on the trim of the the access to the garage or to the a- uh, attic. And right. I, I had my feet on trim. Oh, yeah. You weren't on the actual. I wasn't on anything. And and it's I'm, I'm looking around. I'm debating. Do I go all the way in? Then I sit there and I swear to God, I think, "Huh, what are my feet sitting on?" And I look down and I'm like, "Oh!" And as like it, it was very yeah. comical, and I right. la- I landed on the the wood box on my chest and my stomach. It, they they thought I lacerated my my liver and all this stuff, and I'm like, "This is ridiculous. I can't do anything now." And it's just I'm I'm just accident prone i'm too old and that happened in march and my ribs still kind of bother me well, you, well you,
1: you know you broke a rib a couple years ago but you know, <laughs> someone helped you break a rib so <laughs> yeah, March <yeah>, <laughs> at, at, at this point uh yeah i i think at 50 years old the chances for injury grow up the recovery time gets longer and the ability to ever get back to normal is essentially gone so mm-hmm. Yeah, I sold my house, and I had to move a bunch of stuff out of my house, and I just thought, man, I need like a, like a month's rest just from moving.
0: Right? You might as well – you're better off to pay some college kids or high school kids to move everything for you because, uh, yeah, that, uh, I don't plan on moving mainly because I don't think I can handle it physically.
1: <laughs> I'm so old. I'm to the point when I see young people do things – I just, I just smile, and in my head, I go, "You're gonna regret that later." <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: That's there a broken be a hip waiting right there, my friend. There will be a price to pay. <laughs> my, my wife bought my kids a one of those razors uh, uh-huh. or uh, hoverboard. Excuse me, the hoverboards, yeah. and they brought it home. They got it at a garage sale for fifty bucks. And the kids are like, "Dad, do you want to get on?" And I look at my wife, and I was like, "I, it's probably best if we don't do that." <laughs> Yeah. If anybody's going to break something, it's me. I broke my wrist last year playing football with my son in the street because my my hip locked up because I have a jacked up hip and I tripped and fell into the street and I just I broke my wrist in like two spots. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. Stay safe, man.
1: Stay safe.
0: <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Again, what, what's your website so people can check out your your stuff?
1: So we can go to uh, go to Brown 94 That's how you can find me uh, on Twitter. And then uh, ship your reptiles or all pro shipping. Allproshipping.com, shipyourreptiles.com, shipyouraquatics.com, shipyourinverts.com, shipyourflora.com. Um, and the Living Art Podcast. Give me a month to six weeks to get everything in order. And uh, I will ho- hopefully be able to launch with four or five episodes in the can. So yeah. when I first launch, you can... You can binge for a couple of hours.
0: Absolutely. It sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you so very, very much for popping on this. It's, it's an amazing episode. You're a, a very fascinating person. <laughs> Reptiles, uh, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, and flowers now. you're get, Oh, my God. Anyway, the list goes on and on, people. It's Chad yep. Brown. Thank you so much. Make sure you guys subscribe if you haven't done so already for the DeHuff Uncensored podcast. Uh, go to dahuffoncensored.com. Thank you so much to Chad Brown. We'll talk to you guys next time.